Have you ever wanted to dig deeper in your faith, but not really sure how to go about it? Well, this month, we're talking about five different ways that God uses to grow your faith. And they're easier than you may think. In fact, people around you might be helping you grow as we speak. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this helps you continue to grow in your faith journey. Well, all month we have been talking about five different ways that God uses to grow your faith. And today, a special guest preacher, our own Gerard Marone, helps us discover that relationships with others can actually reveal God's love and grow our faith that much more. So let's listen in right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Tower Hill. Uh, my name is Gerard Marone. I'm so glad to be with you this morning uh, as we continue in our sermon series, Five Things That God Uses to Grow Your Faith. We're going to be working through this all August. Um, Pastor Teresa started the sermon series last week, and then I'll be continuing it, and we'll have three more after this. And the whole series hinges on a central question. What if God really existed and you had perfect faith in him? What if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? What would your life look like if you were so confident that everything that came your way was part of a divine plan and someday you'd look back and see how all those pieces fit together? Imagine what that would do to your life, to your stress levels, to your anxiety levels, to your fear, to your job, to the way you interact with other people. It would be a real game changer in the way that we, we lived our lives if we were able to do that. And while this isn't an exhaustive list, we have found that there's these five common threads the more we talk to people and learn about their faith journeys. And that is, uh, the first one is practical teaching, which shows us where we are and where we need to go. Providential relationships, which we're going to talk about this week, which allow us to hear from God through other people. Private disciplines to tune our hearts to God's heart. Pivotal circumstances that force us to look at God. And then personal ministry, which enables us to experience God's power. Last week, Pastor Teresa spoke about the first thing that God uses, which is practical teaching. When, when we have one or more people talking and, and taking lessons and stories from the Bible and teaching us and unpacking that and, and helping us understand and internalize them, it has a massive impact on our faith. And when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. And as Pastor Teresa talked about the wise and the foolish builders from the Sermon on the Mount, showing, it showed us that hearing and learning are not enough when it comes to our faith. The real value comes in the application of that teaching. As a career educator, I can tell you that that's true of the math that I taught my students. In many ways, the application is that third act of a story where all the resolution comes from. Think of the movie Star Wars, A New Hope, the, the real first Star Wars. And at the ending, and, and Luke and the rest of the X-Wings are getting ready to take off to destroy the Death Star, and then the end credits roll. It would be really unsatisfying to not see the resolution of that story. You could pick a different movie or a different book. We need that third act to, to finish that off. And that's really what comes from our applying practical teaching, like Pastor Teresa talked about. When we come here on Sundays, when we watch on Facebook Live, when we listen to podcast sermons or attend small groups, but we don't apply what we hear, we're missing that resolution as well. Today, our focus becomes providential relationships. Now, if you're in the building uh, on Sunday, I could be making all those introverts really uncomfortable, but you at home are not going to have that real, that real pain. 
um, where if I pulled a teacher trick and had people turn and talk about this. But I want you to take 10 seconds and just think in your head about this following question, which is really two questions. Can you think of someone in your life that God used to make your faith stronger? Who did God bring along and intersect your life with? And as a result of that relationship, your faith in God got bigger. Or if you're watching this and you're just unsure about all this God stuff, or you're like, I don't really know how I even stumbled upon this video, and you can't answer that question, the question for you is, can you think of someone in your life who possibly maybe God put there to cause you to have interest in your faith or to consider your faith or to watch this video? Take 10 seconds and think about that. If I were to answer that question for you, two people immediately come to mind for me. The first was when I was in high school and church just seemed like this stuffy old building and thing for a 14 or 15 year old, you know, salty surfer kid would go to like I was. I was the kid with the long dyed blonde hair and I'm, I'm hoping that this picture makes it into this video so you can see how ridiculous that hair looked. And I was immediately skeptical when any old person at church tried to make things here sound cool. Enter Joe Cole, who was a seminary intern at the time, but eventually became one of our associate pastors. I received a letter in the mail from him, talk, and he talked all about how stoked he was for confirmation class to start and how rad it would be. And so my immediate reaction was, all right, this is some old stuffy guy trying to be cool, and my, my detectors were going off. And then you meet Joe, and he's not your prototypical Presbyterian from the 2000s when I was in high school with his tattoos and his Jesus surfs without a board t-shirts. He was just not at all what I pictured when I went to church. His ability to bridge the world I lived in with loving Jesus was, was a connection and an intersection that I had never seen before. We weren't just hearing about Jesus, but, but seeing what truly loving and being in daily conversation with Jesus was about. What Joe did for me was he expanded the picture of faith beyond Bible stories beyond uncomfortable clothes on Sunday mornings and, and a dusty old Bible, we were experiencing a different type of Christianity and it changed the entire trajectory of my life. I went from being dragged kicking and screaming each Sunday to come here to showing up on, on youth group nights three or four hours early to just spend time with Joe and learn more. I, I couldn't get enough. And uh, to be perfectly honest, if you would have told me in 2002 that I'd be standing here preaching and speaking about my relationship with Jesus, I would have had some very choice words, and they probably would not have been church appropriate. The second person who, who had that real profound impact on me was Dave Brandt, who was the men's soccer coach at Messiah College for three of my four years there. You see, I was recruited to play there, but ultimately, I wasn't offered a spot on the team. I called Dave and told him I understood the decision. You know, he sees 100 to 200 recruits every year, and six or seven kids get spots on the team. So, it's not uncommon for him to not pick people. I told him I was coming to Messiah anyway, and I'd love to be involved in the program in any way possible, and just left it at that. And out of nowhere, I got an email back from him, and he offered me a work-study position as the team manager, which I jumped at, and he was excited about because it was the first time a high-level player was gonna take that role. That spring, when I went out to meet the team before we moved in for preseason, he, in no uncertain terms, told the rest of the team that although I wasn't on the playing roster, I could have played almost anywhere else at that level, and I chose to be here, and that I was part of this team as much as anybody, including our All-American forwards and everything, and it stunned me. The rest is history because that experience put me at a level footing, and it, it, it was a defining one in my life. It allowed me to experience that program as a player, and the experience I got from that as a leader, as a husband, as a father, 
is, is just inexplicable, the, the impact it had on me. Dave could have just as easily said nothing, but he didn't. And my life and my faith was changed forever because of that experience. And these relationships are what we're talking about today when we say that they're providential. God used these men to intersect my life at pivotal moments and change the trajectory of it. I went to a Christian college because of my experience with Joe. I continued in, in growing in my faith and eventually you know, got to work in ministry because of the, the impact that Dave had on me at Messiah. I know this isn't isolated, though. If I had actually asked people to share, or if you're putting them in the comments on this video of who came to mind with you, it would probably go something like, I was going about my life and then I met this guy, or I met this girl, or I had this professor in college who was a Christian and it was just very different or this group invited me to this event, or my kids came back from camp, or my college roommate was a Christian. And we could go through examples for 20 minutes, but you get the point. Whenever we hear a faith story, the first thing that comes out is the relationships. It's so rare, in fact, I don't know if I've ever heard of someone finding a copy of the Bible on their own in isolation and growing a deep personal faith devoid of relationships. That I, I opened this book, and I read it, and I understood it, and I got to this deep faith just on my own with nobody's help. That's why I think it's fair to assert that God uses human relationships to impact our faith in him. The thing that's so cool about this, this idea of, of providential relationships is that they're woven throughout the Christian narrative in the Bible. There are many examples throughout the stories of the Bible where you're seeing relationships form that should never have formed if it wasn't for God having his hand in it. And the one we're going to look at today is a person who wrote many of the books of our New Testament, and that's Paul. For those that don't know the story, Paul was originally known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee and a top, top, top dog when it came to persecuting Jesus' followers, or followers of the way as they were known back then. He was very, very good at making sure that these guys were punished for following Jesus. And the story that we're going to look at today was when he was off to Damascus for more attacking. In Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 3, it says that as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Once Saul is in this really tough spot, it's God who sends someone to have a massive impact on his life. Saul has no control over any of this. Jesus is at the center. We're going to pick back up on the story in verse 17, meeting a a man named Ananias, who's one of the disciples. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming home, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And check out what happens next, right after this. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I would think that Saul, now Paul, his life changed irrevocably for the positive after this interaction and this providential relationship with Ananias. Before we cheer and yell and say, yay, providential relationships, and ask where we get one of these, we have to acknowledge that this principle does work both ways. For instance, what if I had asked, is there anyone you can pinpoint in your life that has undermined your faith in God? As a result of that relationship, you believed less. Just like how we magnify our greatest moments in life and trace them back to relationships, can't we do the same with some of our lowest and worst moments in life? We can trace those back to relationships too, which brings us to a crossroads. How do we leverage good relationships to grow our faith and avoid bad relationships that weaken it? It's not like we can just will these providential relationships to happen. We can't do a couch to providential relationship plan like you could if you wanted to go from not exercising to running a 5K or a marathon. So how do we do this? And what do we do with this knowledge? And I think there's three things for us. The first is to become aware through reflection. I think the first step in leveraging good relationships in our faith journey is to train our minds to look for them based on our past. We already did some reflecting briefly this morning, but can we set aside time, can you set aside time to really look at your faith journey and identify those relationships that have brought us here? Are there patterns in your life that consistently brought someone at that exact moment you needed it in your walk with Christ? Once we become good at identifying these in our past, it opens up our eyes to be looking for them in our present. As you hone this skill, you'll start to sense where God is at work in your present relationships, and you can lean harder into those. If we look at the story of Saul or Paul, which we'll call him from now on, the question Jesus asks him right before he loses his sight is, why do you persecute me? I don't know about you, but if I hear that and then I go blind, you better believe that I'm taking a long, hard look at myself and reflecting on my life up to that point. Pun definitely intended. The second thing is to guard against cultural wear and tear. I don't know about you, but when I watch Netflix or I read the news or engage with culture, I rarely feel tempted to be good, honest, and kind based on those things. There are rarely infomercials on how to be an honest deal maker, waiting patiently, and good things will come. No, there are get-rich-quick schemes. That's what we see more often than not. And when we interact with culture, we aren't out there saying, man, I really wanted to be mean, but then I was tempted to be kind, so I just gave in to it. Culture has the power to put a wedge between us and our faith in God. So if, we, so if I have any place relationally that I can pivot away from the way culture pushes us and pivot towards faith, I don't want to miss that opportunity. King Solomon in the book of Proverbs put it very eloquently when he said, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Which is Proverbs 13, 20. Paul, after his experience with the power of providential relationships, says this in his letter to the church in Corinth. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I know hearing those two things, you could be tempted to think that I spent too much time around students and that those are too simplistic for adults to embrace. But I would raise you the fact that bad company has corrupted a whole bunch of marriages. Bad company has put too many alcoholics back in their destructive cycles. Bad company is what got you invited into an environment that became a habit that might not be the most positive thing in your life. Bad company planted a thought in your mind that grew into a behavior. And the third thing, and the most important thing, I think, personally, is to choose to be where their positive relationships are. 
choose to be where the positive relationships are. Let's be honest, for most of us, we don't get to pick with who we interact with for much of our day. We don't get to select our coworkers, our classmates, the people we wait before or after in line in the grocery store, unless we work from home and we don't ever go to the store and we get to hire our own employees. We can't control the belief system of those around us. And there's a strong chance in this post-Christian world that we're gonna run into people who don't share our belief system and have the potential to damage our faith. To be honest, we're all gonna be forced at some point to encounter people who serve as a constant temptation morally and ethically for us. They will represent things that you know you should stay away from. But when we do have control over those people and those relationships, we need to be smart and strategic with who we spend time with and who we devote time to. We only have so much emotional capital to spend each day. We start each day with a full cup and spend most of that day pouring it out to other people, places, tasks. But you and I both know that when it comes to positive relationships in our lives, we get filled back up from them more than we pour out. Even looking at Paul's story, we see the encounter with a providential relationship. He changed his whole group. We never hear any more about the guys that he arrived to Damascus with, that he walked on the road with. Now he's spending time with the disciples of Jesus. And if you are like me and you think about this and, and be honest, I would be putting two hands up right now. When we hang out with people or we spend time with people who, who fill our cups, we have probably, and I am admitting this publicly, have absolutely posted somewhere on social media that, hey, my cup is so full or my heart is so full after spending time with them. We know what that feeling is like. So let's go after that. Let's focus on that in the relationships that we have control over. If you're unsure of where to look for these things in your life, Tower Hill's a really good place to start. Please ask anybody on staff or go to our Connect Center to find out more about all the incredible offerings we have. We have small groups, we have Bible studies, we offer church-wide events to be around other positive people and develop those positive relationships. If you're a student, continue to take advantage of the incredible opportunity you have here at Tower Hill with CORE, Ignite, and K2 and our Sunday morning programming. You are so lucky to have a huge group of committed adults who love you and want to go deeper with you in your faith journey. Don't miss that. Leverage that. You, end up might, you might end up doing this one day. You never know. It, but you have to lean into those relationships. Parents, get your kids involved in our Sunday school program and find ways to leverage all the incredible resources that Lindsay and Jen and Karen and Heather and the rest of the Next Gen team produce. So that on the way home, when we get back in the car and we say, how was Sunday school? You can get something more than just, it was good. And, and, and that's it. So leverage that, lean into that, find ways to connect and get more positive relationships into your life. This isn't just a shameless plug for Tower Hill either. We know there are tons of places outside of this building and outside of this community that will expose you to incredible God-loving people that will deepen your faith. The hard part for all of us in, in conclusion of this is that we have to do the work to put ourselves there. What we do to create space for God to work through a providential relationship is going to look different for each and every one of us, but it's a worthwhile challenge. Overall, I've seen it written on a ton of school, school posters that are super cheesy and probably pretty faded, but it stands true now, the, the words, and that's the quality of our friends will determine the quality and direction of our lives. The more we prioritize good relationships and give God space to work through those relationships, the more God will use them to grow our faith.